We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, uh, 3 through 8. So last week, as we kind of started off, what we, what we really did was we kind of looked back at the beginning of the Philippian church, right? We wanted to understand where they're coming from here. Where is this, this church? Because Paul writes this, this letter to the Philippians. Well, who are the Philippians, right? Who are these people that he's writing this letter to? And so we kind of stepped back and took a look to see who are these Philippians, these people that, that Paul's writing the letter to. And if you remember kind of what we looked at twofold was the people who were saved and who were kind of the beginning of the church, the woman Lydia, um, the slave girl, the, um, the, the, the jailer. We looked at that, but then we also looked at the way Paul lived his life, how there's this guy, Paul, who, um, who lived missionally every day. Like He understood that his job as a Christian was to live for God today and serve God today. Not waiting for some big scheme to happen, not some great, you know, the sky is to split, the burning bush thing, but just simply serve God today. So no matter what that looks like, whether it's taking somebody out to coffee who needs it, loving on somebody who just needs to be encouraged, um, right? Whatever that kind of looked like for today for you, like how, how do we do that? How do we walk in that today and seeing things that happen in our lives, not necessarily for ourselves, but seeing them as opportunities to serve, opportunities to be witnesses, opportunities to be used by God. And we looked at that picture one way whenever Paul, um, they're sitting in jail, they, they're in prison. If you remember, they're in prison because Paul basically um, removed a demonic spirit from this girl. And now our owners, this slave girl, now our owners couldn't make money off of her anymore. So they get mad, they beat Paul and throw him in prison, which was totally fair, I'm sure. And um, anyway, so he's sitting in jail and they're praying and worshiping God. And instead of, you know, just being down or they're praying and worshiping God, God causes an earthquake to come. And instead of them peacing out, being like, I'm out of here, they actually hang out. And the reason why they do this is because the jailer would have been killed. He would have had to kill himself, or excuse me, he would have been killed for losing the prisoners. So instead, he's about to kill himself. Paul's like, whoa, 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 we're here, man, relax. And if you, I don't know if you caught this, but they actually, God causes this earthquake to happen. And instead of them, uh, and, and God causes this earthquake to happen, they witness to the jailer, he gets saved, but then they go to his house and you're like, oh, good, they're free. No, they were still technically prisoners. It's just the jail was broke, so the guy took him to their house. So they're still prisoners of this guy's house. They don't actually get released until the next day. So the earthquake happened, and the results of the earthquake wasn't them getting set free. The earthquake happened so that this man could get saved. Paul used it. And so we talk about this having this, this missional mindset in our lives of, of not necessarily looking at everything that's happening for me, but as an opportunity to be used by God. And so we saw, we talked about that, we looked at that, and then we talked about these different people who were saved in this story of the, of the Philippian church being born, Lydia, um, the slave girl, the, um, the jailer, and how each one of them were totally different people. Like Lydia is this rich woman who um, is a dealer in, in fine cloth, that kind of deal. She gets saved because they're having this prayer meeting. Paul shows up and is teaching, and she's like attracted to the gospel through this teaching. We see the slave girl have a demonic spirit removed from her, and she sees, basically literally sees God in action, right? And then we see um, finally the jailer, he gets saved because he sees, he sees it in Paul's life. You could have ran. You could have left. What is it that made you stay? And so kind of the point of that was looking at that and seeing what kind of the beginnings of this church was made of, but then secondly, to challenge us not to limit God. We're looking at three different people, three different personalities, three different situations, a rich woman, a slave, and a blue-collar worker, right? 
all get saved in different ways, experience God in different ways, but the same result. And so the challenge was, let's not um, limit what God can do. Let's not tell him, this is the only way that you can work in our lives. This is right. We want to be a church where we see all kinds of people get saved. Diversity, like we want to see God move in people's lives in a variety of ways, not just like, well, you come here and you just got to, the only way you can really have God work in life is if Mike just happens to have a really good sermon that day, right? No, we want to see God work in your lives in a variety of ways. And so that was kind of our challenge last week. So this week, as we, excuse me, as we jump in and begin to see the study of the book of Philippians, I want to start out before I even read the text, reminding you that Paul's writing this book from prison. Okay, so Paul's in jail writing this book, and you'll notice that he opens the book praising God. And I just want to constantly remind us that we look to, uh, we see joy and thankfulness as this constant theme throughout this book of Philippians while Paul's in jail. So Paul's in jail, and yet we see this constant theme of joy, thankfulness throughout the book. And I think that if we look at the church, if we look at Christians, right, one thing we would say about Christianity is that Christianity is extremely countercultural. Would you agree with that? Or maybe it should be countercultural? Say, so what do you mean by that? Um, as Christians, um, are we countercultural in a lot of ways? Like, one example is how we view success. We don't necessarily view success the same way as. America defines success, the world defines success. We, we view money in a different way than the world or America uh, views money, right? You, we have, even in things like as simple as this, um, the phrase, turn the other cheek. That's real American, right? Like if somebody pops you in the face, you turn the other cheek, right? No, what's the American? I mean, you hit that sucker back, right? Get him in the throat, <clears throat> choke him out, and then, right, take him down, right? No, but we have a, we have a Jesus, we have a Savior who teaches, man, somebody... Somebody takes a, you know, somebody hits you, man, turn the other cheek. A savior who says, hey, if somebody comes to you and asks for food, offer him your jacket too. That's very countercultural, don't you think? Don't you think? And so Christianity is very countercultural, and, and how we view joy and thankfulness should be no different than that. Our world teaches if your circumstances are great, man, be happy and be joyful. If your circumstances aren't great, then be ticked off. Fix it, figure it out, right? As Christians, we're not, um, we're not against pleasure and satisfaction and joy. It's not that. That's not what I want you to hear. Like, I'm not saying, like, as a Christian, you should be miserable and just be happy to be miserable because God loves you. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, as Christians, what we should understand, our countercultural view should be that the source for our joy, the source for our happiness, the source for our thankfulness isn't things like money or sex or... Um, power or career advancement, etc. That's not the source for our joy. That's not the source for our thankfulness. That's not the source for our satisfaction, right? There's this, this quest for joy that's built into the American fabric, which teaches what? It's right in the Constitution. What do we have a right to? To bear arms. All right, I got some Republicans in the house. <laughs> we got the right to shoot people, man. No, we have the right to, I mean, I guess you have that right as well. There might be a gun or two in the house. Um, But we have the right to what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? It's built into the American fabric. We have people who we spend our whole life searching for this joy, trying to find it in all of these places. But what they miss out on is that as Christians, man, our source for joy and thankfulness, our foundation for that isn't in those same things. Like, 
if you know me, you know that one of my favorite, probably my favorite historical figure is Alexander the Great. So if you go to my house, you'll see I have three biographies on him. I just, I, he's fascinating me. I mean, the dude conquered the known world by the time he was 30. Like at my age, he had like, you see that over there? I own it. You see that? That's like everything. Like, dude, what are we doing with our lives, people, right? This guy's 30 years old and has conquered the whole world. Well, there's this guy who was in a story and kind of studied his life and what we know a lot about him comes from this guy's writings. And he tells this story about how when Alexander had finally conquered the last of everything that he knew. Like, could you imagine that? Like everything I know of, every place I've ever been, everything, every known world I've conquered. And so Alexander's sitting there, he's done all of this. And this guy walks in on Alexander and he finds him weeping. And he's crying, and he's weeping, and he's saying, what's going on? And what he's, he's weeping because he says, there's nothing left to conquer. There's no more, he's, actually, there are no more worlds to conquer. What is that? Alexander's joy, the way he's finding meaning in life was simply by achieving, achieving, achieving. And he's thinking, if I can just keep achieving, if I can just think, keep conquering, if I can just keep conquering people, then finally one day I'm going to get there, I'm going to get I'm going to have joy, I'm going to have peace, I'm going to have happiness and he never found it. He conquered literally everything he could know. And in the end, he's weeping. Real encouraging message today, right, guys? What we'll see throughout Philippians, and especially kind of today, is that Paul's foundation for joy just simply wasn't his circumstances. It's this beautiful thing as, as a Christian where we have this rock where the world can literally be crashing against us. Everything can be going wrong. And yet we have this rock. We have this foundation. We have this hope. We have this peace that should be the guiding light of our life. And it's not our circumstances, but it's Jesus. And so we'll see that in Paul's life. We see that throughout Philippians. We see that in the fact that we can sing this song today, man. God is good, right? We can sit and praise him no matter what's going on in your life. He's good. We've tasted and seen that he is good. He's faithful. He's kind, right? So let's read uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, and we'll kind of walk through it together. Verse 3 says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my, in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And it is right for me to think this way about you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For as God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ. Christ. Let's go back and look at verse 3 again. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. So this first thing that's pretty cool here, or at least to me as I was kind of studying this week, noticed this. So Paul, again, is in prison but he's writing these, the Philippians, telling them that he's praying for them. He's giving thanks for them in all of his prayers. Like, if it's me, I'm writing to people asking them to be praying for me. But yet we see this cool thing where Paul's like, man, I'm in jail and I'm praying for you. I'm thinking of you. That's again points to his just missional, I serve God today where I am no matter what's going on around me. Like, just in that little note, that side point right there, there's a lot that we can learn about Paul. He's not asking them for prayer. He's praying for them. And what does he say to them in his prayer? He says, man, when I think of you, I'm filled with great memories of you. When I think of you, 
I'm filled with, I remembered of what we've been through. I remembered of how our lives have been together. And I'm filled with joy and I'm filled with great memories. Um, what I'll say, I guess I have to be careful about saying this because we're in church. Um, you're like, oh, great. What's he about to say, right? If you've gone to church before for any amount of time, so like a year or like 20 years, there's this one thing that you're going to know about church people and the church. It's not a perfect place, right? Would you agree with that? Like, no, my church is perfect. Right, River Church, we are perfect, right? Nothing wrong here, right? But the thing about the church is that if you go to the church, as great as they are, right, you're going to, at some point, you're probably going to get hurt by somebody. You're going to get offended by something. There's no perfect church. And as a matter of fact, this Philippian church definitely wasn't perfect. And we'll see in a few weeks where Paul's like rebuking him. He's like, man, you guys stink at this. We need to talk about this. Right? He's getting onto them. But even though they weren't perfect, even though they had messed up, even though they had probably hurt him, even though right, all these things are going on, Paul is, when he thinks of them, what he thinks about is good things he remembers. Um, he's thankful for them, even in their imperfection. You say, well, why does that matter? Why is that important? Because it's, if we're not careful, what happens is we only see the bad and we miss out on the good. And yet we see, and that's true of churches, that's true of our jobs, that's true, that's true of our relationships, that's true of every area of our life. But here we see Paul, and he's not, he's not going to focus on the bad. Like, he doesn't start out the letter like, all right, guys, so I was praying the other day, and God said that you guys stink at some stuff. We need to talk. No, he starts out, and he's thinking, when I think of you, I'm thankful. Everybody brings, there's joy that comes to my heart. This guy, Kent Hughes, says this about Paul. He says, if, we, if you notice Paul, if you read his writings, Paul rarely thanks God for things. So he's not talking about his circumstances. He's not talking about, hey, man, you sent me this really great care package. He really thanks God for things, but it's almost always people who, despite the trouble that they have caused him, were his hugest source of joy and thanksgiving. Why is that important for us? I'm going to talk to... um, So if this isn't you, just ignore me. Think about your fantasy football team or something, right, for Lent. Think about the... But I just want to talk to, if there's any people who have a hard time with being critical in here today, maybe that's none of you, maybe it's just me, because if you ask my wife, I'm real good at that. One thing I'm great at is criticizing, right? If you're a critical person here, I want to warn you, right? Because remember, Paul here is talking to church people who can be, um, not anybody here, of course, but church people can sometimes be a pain in the butt, right? But he's thankful for them. He's filled with joy when he thinks of them, when he's praying for them. And if you're not careful, if you're a critical person, if you, can tend to, if you tend to be more of a critical person, it's hard to be truly thankful for people. It's hard to be truly thankful for what God is doing in your life. It's hard to be thankful in your circumstances because you're always looking at the negative. And instead of seeing and focusing on the good in people, what you're focusing on is the negative. And what I want to encourage us here today is that we would look for, maybe if that's you, whenever that arises in you and you start seeing the negatives in people, you start seeing some things that, well, this person's been, you know, a Christian for 10 years and they should be better at this or they should be doing this. Like, I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to look for the growth in people. Look at how far they've come, not necessarily where they are. Look for um, what God is doing in people instead of criticizing. And this is, this is hard for me because if I'm just transparent with you guys, which is always a dangerous thing, right? But if I'm just honest, one of probably my best and absolute worst qualities is I'm really good at sizing people up. 
So like, if I meet you and I've known you for like, we can talk for like 10 minutes and I've already sized you up and all of you are like, oh, this is great to know, right? But this just, it's something that, it's a blessing and a curse. And so what I mean by that is I can usually see um, the good and bad in people. I can see through a lot of just facades that people put up and I can see like talents. And then also um, it's really easy for me to see negatives in people as well. And so the reason I share that with you is because if I'm not careful, what happens for me is I get frustrated with people instead of loving on people. And instead of seeing what God has done and used and these amazing qualities that God has given people and he's growing in people, and I can focus on, well, God's given all this stuff and why aren't they doing this with it, right? Does that make sense? So like as I'm reading this, like God is literally just like gut punching me myself, right? Like, come on, Mike. And so I want to encourage you, man, if that's you, if you struggle with, with being critical, I want to be, encourage you to instead be grateful, be quick to be grateful what God is doing in your lives, doing in your life and other people's lives. And we don't see Paul who is overlooking conflict or who just lets people slide by. As a matter of fact, he addresses things in people. He addresses conflict. And Paul's really good at calling people out, too. If you read his writing, sometimes it hurts a little bit because you're like, man, like this week I'm reading, I'm like, man, Paul, lay off me, dude, right? But the first thing he sees in people is the good. And he's simply, and even in the conflict, and even in spite of wanting people to grow and wanting different things, he's grateful for them. And so I think that as Christians, as church members, as people, what, what will help us in that is to be reminded constantly of the grace that God has given us. To be constantly reminded of the good things that God is doing and has done in our lives, in our circumstances, and in other people's lives. When I was a kid, uh, maybe y'all have heard this one before. Um, my mom, I, you know, I'm kind of a picky eater. <laughs> so like if there's been like onions in, on, or around something, I'm not touching it. Um, my wife loves that fact about me. Um, but when I was a kid, my mom would cook something, and I just would be like, I'm not eating that. And she would just, do you, maybe you've heard this one. You know, there's kids starving in Africa, right? And you're an ungrateful little brat, right? Like, I heard that a lot in my life. Like, that wasn't just like a joke. That was like literally, there's kids starving in Africa and you're not going to eat this. But it, that, like, it's a sad thing to say, but it's, that's really true, right? Like, if we look at our circumstances, there's literally people who are going to go to bed tonight hungry and we are overwhelmed with blessings. Sometimes finding joy and thankfulness in other people and in ourselves is literally just perspective, it's stepping back and go and not, because what happens is we get stuck in the day-to-day and we get stuck in the right here and the right now and we miss the big picture. And sometimes we just got to step back and go, oh man, I am so blessed. And I didn't even realize it. Like I am overwhelmingly, God has been overwhelmingly good to me and I'm sitting in here just complaining and criticizing. Sometimes we just need to take a step back and remember what God has actually done for us, right? You know, like, shut up, Mike. <laughs> What we need to do in those moments is to step back and remember and reflect on the the goodness and the kindness of our God. Remember that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And so one true sign of Christian growth is thankfulness, is if we are able to look at our lives and be overwhelmingly thankful for what God has done instead of, right, because there's this thing about grace that is, the person who understand, the more and more we understand how much grace God has poured out on us, the more we understand how much grace we don't deserve, and the more and more we understand how good God has been to us. Does that make sense? 
and the more and the more we are thankful for God's goodness and kindness in our lives, despite our circumstances. Because like literally, God could, I'm not asking for this, but I could like get in a wreck and die on the way home, and my life has still been overwhelmingly blessed and good from God. Remember, Paul is, again, he's in prison writing this, and he's filled with joy. There's so much that we can learn from that. And I want to encourage you, man, because what happens is if we're not careful, instead of being thankful and instead of stepping back and seeing what God has done for us, we continue to think that if I just get more money, if I get, um, you know, if my kids will behave a little bit better, or if, uh, you know, my spouse will be nicer to me, or if whatever, you know, there's the list. If I can get more and more and more and more, then that'll be the thing that'll give me joy. That'll thing that'll be the thing that'll give me peace. And what happens is you're like, Alexander, you conquer the world, and you're like, there's nothing else to conquer. And we're, we're miserable, right? And, and the thing, that what I kind of liken it to is, maybe it's a good analogy, maybe it's not, but the guy who's like making $40,000 a year and is just like in debt, 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 and like just can't seem to get out, just like, just as like, I just can't live on this, and thinks if I can just get more money, then maybe I'll be healthy financially. But what happens is you give that guy $4 million and he's still going to be, Right? in terrible financial shape. You're like, I'd like to try. Give me a shot, Mike. Right? Give me that. See if I can figure it out. But the principle isn't give the person more money. The principle is teach that guy to budget. You see what I'm saying? It's the same thing in our lives. I Man, if you're not, if you can't find joy and peace and happiness in your circumstances, regardless of what's going on around you, the answer isn't find, get a better place. The answer isn't get the job. The answer isn't give me more money, give me the spouse, give me the kids. That, that's not the answer. The answer is you're hoping to find joy and peace in the wrong place. And so it's not a change of circumstances that you need. It's a change, a redirection of what you use to find joy and peace. And for the Christian, that answer is Jesus. For the, for the Christian, our hope is found in Christ alone. Our joy and peace is found in Christ alone. Our joy is founded in God. The answer isn't more. The answer isn't more. The answer is Jesus. So as we move on, verse 5. So Paul says, I, as I, when I, well, let me go back and read. He says, I give thanks to you, my God, for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my prayers. 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now. So Paul's saying, I'm thankful for you. There's, I think of joy of you. I have all these great memories of you. And then he goes on and says, because of this, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What is he talking about? It's a twofold thing. The first is this. He's talking about partnership. He's talking about the deep relationships that he has with the Philippians. And in the gospel, they're on mission together. He has this deep relationship with the people of the church, and they're on mission together for Christ. So uh, C.S. Lewis says this really cool thing. It's really profound. He says, basically, friendship is born in those moments of me too. Do you know what I'm saying? Like those moments when you have with somebody and you, talk, you meet somebody and you're like, hey, man, I love football. Oh, me too, man. I'm a big fan of that. Friendship is found in the me too moments where you find somebody and you're talking about, and basically in the commonality, right? You find these common interests. Those are the moments that friendship begins to be born. The common interest, the co- what binds these people together, the common bond that Paul had with the Philippians was Jesus. That was kind of the basis for this, and that's what created the, the relationship. And we are, as Christians, as people, 
we did a whole sermon series on this a while back, but we're created for relationship, right? Relationship with God and relationship with other people. Like that's the way God made us. Like the, the easiest example I can give you of this is no person on their de- deathbeds like, hey man, bring me my diploma. I'd really like to look at that and see how I achieve that degree again right before I die. It's not like, hey man, let's just stack up all the money I made around the deathbed and let me just soak it in, right? Smell the green. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> not that green, guys. Come on, y'all are Christians. No, what do we want by our deathbed? We want our, the people, we want our loved ones. We want the people who walk through life with us. We were created for relationship. And then Paul, we see this relationship with the Philippians goes even deeper because there are people who are on mission together. And one thing that I love about our church is that we are, I believe, moving, excuse me, being a place and growing into a place of people who are growing close in relationships with one another and then living on mission together, on purpose for a purpose, right? And that's one reason why I'm excited about as we continue, as we launch community groups again and begin to sign up for that again, because it gives you an opportunity to grow deeper in relationships with one another as we hope to see DFW transformed by Jesus. And then we get to serve together on Sunday mornings, on I Love My City events. We see these beautiful movements of God. And so we want to kind of follow God's example. As a Christian, you need gospel partners. As a Christian, we need people that we grow deep in relationship with, like Paul, and people that aren't just friends, aren't just like people that we hang out with, but people who are coworkers together. Does that make sense? People who we're working together, striving together for something that's bigger than us. And it's this beautiful picture where you get this thing where you have people who you're in deep relationship with and then this bond that is just built because we're striving, we're working, we have a common dream together to see people's lives changed by Jesus. And so we have this picture that Paul had with the Philippians, deep relationships, a common bond built and deep relationship with Jesus on mission together. And then six, he goes on and says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ. Now, I love this, and I could spend a whole lot of time here, but I'm not. Um, but I want to challenge this here, because the, he says that God, who've complete, who he started a good work in you, will carry out to completion until the day of Christ. What happens here is we tend to look at this verse in a lot of ways very individualistic. And so we look at that and say, oh, God, who started good work in me, He's going to carry it out. That's that's great. And that's also true. Like God is working in your life. He's growing you. He's transforming you. He's changing you. Like he started something in you and he's going to grow you and transform you and deep and wide. It's this beautiful thing. But we have to remember that Paul isn't writing this letter to one person. As a matter of fact, he's writing this letter to a whole church. And so it's actually a promise for the church, not just an individual person where he's saying, Philippian church, God has started this beautiful work in your church. He's raised you up. He's birthed this church in the city of Philippi, and he has a job for you. He has a mission for you. He has a work in you, and he's going to complete it. It's this beautiful promise, not just for the individual Christian, but for the church as well. And I believe that we can take that promise as for the river church too, that God has raised us up. He's began this work in us. And he's promising to fulfill that. And not just for the river church, because the river church can like die and be gone, but for the big C church, the D church. 
Like, God, like Gateway can die, the village can die, like every church in DFW can die, and the church won't die, man. God is going to raise it up and complete the beautiful work that he has started in this church. As a Christian, that excites me, man. That pumps me up because I'm like, man, you can keep knocking us down. It doesn't matter. We're going to keep getting up because God has started something here, and he's not going to stop until he's completed it. It's a beautiful promise, man. It's beautiful. Moving on. Verse 7. He said, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are, are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with, his affection, with the affection of Christ. And, and this kind of really goes back to what we started with Paul talking about how thankful he is for the Philippians and how much he loves them. But there's a couple things I want to point out quickly. It says this thing says it's right for me to think of you because I have you in my heart. And the idea here in the in the Greek language isn't like I just love you. What he's saying is I have these this love for you that goes into the deepest, most innermost parts of who I am. Like he's talking about like at my gut, the deepest I can love someone, I have this love for you, Philippian church. And if you read Paul's writing, a lot of times he's thought of as kind of this standoffish, intellectual dude who's like just mean sometimes. But, but the more you get to know Paul, the more you understand that he had this deep love and deep affection for the church and for people. And I think that as Christians, as, as, especially as men, I think we can learn from that, right? Because we're taught a lot of times that to be a man is to like be standoffish, be cut off from your emotions, just kind of be tough and, and rigid. But here we see this guy, Paul, who's pouring out love for this church, who's opening his heart up to this church, who's allowing himself to have the opportunity to be hurt by this church, right? And yet he pours himself out for them. He loves them. This man who's tougher than all of us to combine. I mean, he's been beaten, he's been tortured, he's been jailed, right? I mean, the guy murdered people before he's a Christian. Anybody murdered anybody in here? No? no? Yeah, don't ask any questions, right? Don't ask, don't tell. Paul's a bad dude, man. He's tougher than all of us, right? And yet we see this guy, Paul, who's not afraid to open up his affections for the church. He's not afraid to say, man, I deeply love you, and to walk in at deep relationships. Because what happens, especially for us guys, we shy away from deep relationships, but let us take Paul's example here of a man who poured himself out into deep relationships for a church that he loves um, and poured himself out for them with the deepest parts of who he was. I think um, as, we, as I look at this scripture, I was just studying it this week, and there's just a few things that I was thinking of. And it, it's kind of twofold, right? We see this picture of Paul who regardless of his circumstances, is able to find joy and peace and happiness because his foundation is in Jesus. But then we see that compounded with the fact like God is using relationships and these people that he's walked in, deep relationships and deep mission with to be even great, not, not a greater source of joy, but to come beside him and walk through him when times get hard, when life gets hard. I mean, let's just, I'll read over this again. He says in verse 3, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out in completion until the day of Christ. It is right for me to think this way about you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment 
and in the defense and establishment of the gospel. For as God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ. I just want to say this, man, that Paul was able to find joy no matter the circumstances because of two, this, because of two things. His joy was founded in God. His, his peace was founded in God, and then he lived it out with the people that he had his deep affection for. And so as we move into community groups this week, I want to challenge you in that. I want to challenge you to, to find these groups, find a place that you can get plugged into, that you can find people that you can walk through life with, that you can, whenever the circumstances are crazy, whenever life is, is crazy, that joy can be found in not just in God, but that you can have other people that can be a rock to walk through life with you, right? And so I want to just pray this morning. I want you guys to go ahead and stand with me as we close in worship. And I just want to encourage you this morning twofold, man. Find those people that you can walk in deep relationships with. And I want to encourage you, man, no matter the circumstances, no matter where you're walking through in life, man, allow God to be your source for joy. Allow him to be that place for you. Father, I love you. Thank you for this morning. Help us to, to worship you for your goodness. Help us to find thankfulness and peace and joy regardless of our circumstances. And I pray that you would build this up to be a place where we have those deep relationships that we walk on mission with. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.